CrimeCon, the world's number one true crime event, is coming to London in June of 2021. Get inside the mind of serial killers and psychopaths, learn from leading criminologists, hear from the families and survivors, meet your favorite true crime podcasters, immerse yourself in forensic evidence and delve deeper into unsolved crimes. CrimeCon is the ultimate true crime weekend, partnered by Crime and Investigation. And I'm delighted to announce that I will be there all weekend, so come and join me. Quote mens rea when you're buying your ticket for a 10% discount. And as a special bonus, the first 10 people who contact me to let me know that they've bought a ticket using my special code will get a free mens rea t-shirt. Limited tickets are on sale now, and it's a COVID-proof purchase, so there's no need to worry. For more information, visit crimecon.co.uk and use my special code MENSREA. You're listening to the Men's Rea podcast, and this is the story of Wayne McQuillian. of January 1st, 2014, an hour and a half after people rang in the new year, a group of teenage boys were walking through Rathmullen Park in Drogheda, County Louth. As they passed a garden in the housing estate, a man wearing what they thought was a red football jersey stumbled outside, pleading for help. In the dark of the night, they watched as the man tripped and fell onto the grass. He cried out that he had been stabbed and needed an ambulance. In the doorway of the house, a woman was standing drying her hands with a towel. The light from the house and one of the teenagers' phones made it clear that the man was not wearing a red top. He was covered in blood. As the young man rang emergency services, the woman in the doorway told them not to bother, saying, quote, leave him alone, he's all right, end quote. The guardie arrived first and stood with the victim as they waited for an ambulance. He was bleeding profusely from multiple wounds in his upper body. The ambulance was delayed. It didn't arrive for over 40 minutes, so the victim was placed into the back of a Garda patrol car and rushed to Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda. The man suffered a cardiac arrest en route, but was resuscitated. After a second fatal cardiac arrest during a scan, he was pronounced dead at 4.29am. The Gardee were quickly able to establish that the deceased's name was Wayne McQuillan, known to friends as Quilly. Wayne was a 30-year-old painter and decorator from Marion Park in Drogheda. He was the only son of Jimmy and Bernie McQuillan and had one older sister, Audrey. Wayne and Audrey were close. There wasn't much between them in age, just 13 months and people often referred to them as the twins because they were so similar in personality and appearance. When Wayne's parents arrived at the hospital, Wayne was in surgery. After a short time, they were given the devastating news that nothing could be done to save their only son. Wayne lived with his parents, but would often stay in his girlfriend's house. He had begun a relationship with a woman named Paula Farrell, 
after they'd met at her 40th birthday in a local pub the year before. Paula was also from Drogheda. She was born and raised in the town in the northeast of Ireland. Drogheda is one of the oldest towns in Ireland. The long, narrow streets in the town are fringed by areas and monuments rich in Irish history. The town boasts a population of over 40,000 people, making it one of the most densely populated towns in Ireland, situated where the River Boyne flows into the Irish Sea. There are a number of factories providing local employment in the area, but as with most urban communities, there are many who struggle to get by. Paula Farrell had a disturbing youth. She said that she had been sexually abused by her father between the ages of seven and fourteen. When she disclosed the abuse, her father fled to Britain, and she began drinking heavily as a young teenager. She dropped out of secondary school in second year and began a relationship with a man with whom she moved to London for a year. She had two daughters from this relationship, but her drinking problems escalated and she spent her twenties and thirties reliant on alcohol to block out her problems. She had another child in her early thirties, but the relationship with her son's father wasn't to last. Paula lived in Rathmullen Park and had for over twenty years when she met Wayne McQuillan. Their relationship was marked with periods of binge drinking and arguments. The couple would spend the night together before Wayne would return home to his parents' house the following morning to change and shower, and then they'd begin drinking again from the late afternoon until the early hours of the morning. When the first officer at the scene of Wayne's stabbing arrived, he found Paula inconsolable in the hallway. There was blood on the floor and in the kitchen sink. When asked if she had stabbed her boyfriend, she admitted that she had. Garda Tomas Leonard brought Paula Farrell to her mother's home close by and cautioned her before she gave a statement. She said that she and Wayne had gotten into an argument after coming back from Wayne's parents' house and began, quote, tackling each other. She claimed that Wayne pushed her onto a chair and grabbed her by the throat, causing her to hit her head off the wall. She said that when she was able to get up, she walked to the kitchen grabbed a knife and stuck the knife in him as he stood at the kitchen door. Paula Farrell was then arrested and brought to Drogheda Garda Station for questioning. In interviews, Paula told the guardie that she was an alcoholic and was also being treated for schizophrenia, depression and asthma. But on New Year's Eve, she didn't take her medication because they had planned to, quote, go on the drink. By the time the bells rang to indicate the start of the new year, Paula had drank nine or ten cans of cider. She said that after she stabbed Wayne, he turned and walked out the front door, while she went to the kitchen sink to wash his blood from her hands. It was then that the group of teenagers came over to help and called an ambulance. Early that morning, Dr. Marlene Miney examined Paula in Drogheda Garda Station and noted that she had a number of injuries. Dr. Miney said that Paula had two areas of slight bruising and swelling on the left and right side of her scalp, and what appeared to be a bite mark on her right cheek. She had a vertical bruise on the right side of her neck, and bruising and tenderness above her left collarbone. The doctor said that the injuries appeared to be recent. The following morning, Paula Farrell was taken to the Dublin District Court, and was charged with the murder of Wayne McQuillan. 
The counsel for the accused requested that the judge direct medical treatment after he raised concerns about Paula's health. This was granted, and Paula Farrell was remanded in custody while awaiting a trial. Dr. Michael Curtis, the deputy state pathologist, carried out a post-mortem at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital, Drogheda. He found that Wayne had been stabbed four times, once in the upper right arm, once to the front of the chest and two to his left shoulder, which were just 1.1 centimetres apart. Three of those wounds were not fatal, but one had entered his body at a downward angle in his upper left chest and severed a vein before piercing his lung. This had caused severe internal and external bleeding. Concerns were raised over the delay of the ambulance. Dr. Curtis had said that if Wayne had received timely intervention, he may have survived. A member of the Gardaí had waited with Wayne as he bled out on the grass in Rathmullen Park for 25 minutes before deciding that Wayne could not wait any longer. It transpired that the ambulance had been called to respond from RD, which meant that it would have taken at least half an hour to arrive. This was too late. The ambulance arrived in Rathmullen Park at 11 minutes past two that morning. By this stage, Wayne had been taken to the hospital in the Garda patrol car and suffered his first cardiac arrest on the way. Wayne McQuillan's funeral was held on the first Sunday of the year at the Holy Family Church in Drogheda. Hundreds of mourners lined up to pay their respects as the rain poured down. Wayne's casket bore the flags of his beloved Liverpool football club and the local GAA club, the Wolf Tones. Wayne had played with the club in his youth, achieving success with the under-14 team in 1997. He was also a talented darts player and had played soccer with the Drogheda Boys Club. The celebrant addressed the packed pews and spoke of the shroud of darkness over the community following Wayne's death. He said, quote, No words can fill the pain of this loss. In the silence and grief, we must support each other in faith and love. End quote. The priest told the congregation about Wayne's life growing up with his sister and parents and his love for sport. As the casket was carried from the church, the Liverpool anthem You'll Never Walk Alone was played. A guard of honour was formed by members of the Wolf Tone GAA Club before Wayne was laid to rest in Calvary Cemetery. The community were in mourning, but they still had questions. Why had Paula Farrell killed Wayne McQuillan, a man who was loved by many and known as a happy, peaceful person? Paula Farrell remained in custody, and over a year after Wayne's death, the defence notified the state of their intention to introduce evidence of an allegation that Wayne had sexually assaulted Paula on the night she stabbed him. The prosecution called this an imputation of Mr. McQuillan's character. The trial began in June 2015, with Justice Patrick McCarthy presiding at the Central Criminal Court. Paula Farrell pleaded not guilty to murder, but guilty to manslaughter. The defence stated that she had suffered a loss of self-control as a result of the assault and was in a disassociative state 
when she stabbed Wayne McQuillan four times with the largest blade in the kitchen knife block. In order to be convicted of murder in Ireland, the prosecution must prove that the accused had the intention to kill or cause serious injury to someone which could result in death. In a manslaughter conviction, the accused must not have intended to kill or cause serious injury to the victim or know that it was the probable outcome of their actions. The intention to cause serious injury forms the mens rea for murder. In his opening statement, Jared Clark, senior counsel for the prosecution, told the court that Wayne and Paula had been in a relationship for under a year and that they both overindulged in alcohol quite often, not least on New Year's Eve 2013. Mr. Clark told the jury that after Wayne had managed to get outside, Paula Farrell went back into the house and began cleaning up the blood. The murder weapon was found in the sink and there were clear attempts to wipe up some of the blood on scene. The court heard how Wayne had suffered a cardiac arrest in the Garda patrol car and it had taken almost 15 minutes to revive him. While in the emergency room, the consultant who drained the fluid that had collected in his chest cavity noted that Wayne had lost almost two litres of blood. While undergoing a routine CT scan, Wayne had suffered another cardiac arrest and could not be saved. Deputy State Pathologist Dr. Curtis detailed for the court the injuries he had observed on Wayne McQuillan's body during the post-mortem. These were the four stab wounds. The fatal wound, he said, had been an 18-centimetre deep stab wound to the left shoulder. It went in at a downward 45-degree angle, severing a vein and piercing his left lung. Dr. Curtis testified that there were also dozens of bruises and scratches found on Wayne's body. Some looked to be caused by fingernails and were recent, indicative of a struggle. The pathologist stated that the fatal wound had been inflicted to the left chest cavity between the first and second ribs, slicing the left subclavian vein. This vein drains blood from the left arm back into the chest. The knife then went through Wayne's lung. Gerda Tomas Leonard testified about his account of the events when he arrived on the scene before 2am on January 1st, 2014. He said that when he arrived, Paula Farrell was crying in the hallway. He said, quote, I asked her if she stabbed her boyfriend, and she replied she did. In the kitchen, I observed blood on the floor and in the kitchen sink. There was a number of items, including two knives and watered-down blood, end quote. Paula Farrell was initially cautioned in her mother's house before being brought to Drogheda Garda Station. Mr. Clark for the state read the transcripts for the four interviews with Farrell conducted by the guardee before she was charged. In these interviews, she told the detectives that she had gotten a knife and stuck it in Wayne after they had fought. Then, Paula Farrell took the stand and spoke about the alleged assault. She told the court that Wayne had attempted to rape her after midnight on January 1st, 2014. When she tried to resist, he put his hands around her neck and began to strangle her. She said that she was able to free herself and could not remember taking the knife from the kitchen or going to the kitchen door and stabbing Wayne, but she accepted that she had. She stated that after she stabbed Wayne, he turned and walked down the hall with his trousers falling down. She then stabbed him again by the front door. 
but could not recall doing it. She only remembered stabbing him twice, but given the clear presence of four wounds, she accepted that she had stabbed him four times. She said that Wayne had asked her to call an ambulance, but she instead washed her hands in the kitchen sink. Shortly after, she followed him outside and cried that she was sorry. Paula Farrell told the court about the abuse that she had suffered as a child and how she drank heavily because it blocked out all of her problems. On the stand, she spoke about how she was numb after the killing and insisted that she did not intend for it to happen. She said she didn't realise what she had done. She just wanted to hurt Wayne the way he had hurt her. Farrell had said that when she was brought to her mother's house by Garda Leonard, she noticed that she had a large bruise across her neck and on her jaw. When asked why she didn't tell the arresting guardee that she had been sexually assaulted, she contended that it was because she didn't want to believe that it had happened again. Dr. Marlene Miney, who had examined Farrell in Drahata Garda Station early on the morning following Wayne's death, gave evidence that she found 11 injuries on Farrell, including swelling and bruising to her head, neck, jaw and chest. A number of psychiatrists were called to testify. Dr. Brenda Wright spoke on the defence's behalf. Dr. Wright believed that Farrell suffered from a combination of PTSD and alcoholism. Dr. Wright believed that Farrell's criminal responsibility was diminished by her mental illness and said she was, quote, unable to exercise self-control, end quote. For the state, Dr. Sally Linehan, a forensic consultant from the Central Mental Hospital, said that Farrell's behaviour was not due to a mental illness, but rather the amount of alcohol she had consumed. Twelve empty cans and three empty two-litre bottles of cider were found in the kitchen on the night in question. Both Farrell and Wayne McQuillan were found to have substantial blood alcohol levels that night. Dr. Linehan did not believe that Farrell was dissociative when she killed Wayne. Mr. Clark for the state accused Farrell of deliberately lying to the jury to affect the outcome of the case. He said it was a lie that Wayne McQuillan had attempted to rape her, and that the only reason the jury were hearing about her past abuse and mental illness was to try and sway their verdict. On July 17, 2015, after almost three and a half hours of deliberations by the jury, they returned a unanimous guilty verdict. Wayne's sister Audrey read a victim impact statement to the court on her parents' behalf. She spoke of how it was even more painful to think that Wayne was killed by a person who was supposed to love and care for him. They mourned for the loss of his life and the fact that they would never see him form a true loving relationship. She said, quote, Our family is forever broken. We cannot forgive her for the terrible pain and suffering she has inflicted on us. Our lives will never be the same again. We can never be together as a family again, and this breaks our heart. Paula Farrell has also left us feeling a fear, a fear of bumping into her or meeting her while we go about our daily business. We live in the same area as her, and we do not ever want to see her face again. End quote. Unfortunately for Wayne's family, the ordeal was not over, and they would have to continue to fight for justice in the courts again. After the conviction, Paula Farrell's barrister, Caroline Biggs, submitted an appeal on her client's behalf, stating that the issue of provocation should have been raised to the jury, as the only viable defences in this case were diminished responsibility and being provoked. 
Farrell had told the Gardaí that Wayne had been violent towards her before she stabbed him, and when her daughter came to see her after the attack, she told her that she didn't mean to do it. Farrell had also said that Wayne was strangling her before she went into the kitchen to get the knife. The defence believed that this led Paula Farrell to have a sudden and temporary loss of control, which resulted in killing her partner. Ms Biggs for the defence said that Paula had a history of PTSD as a result of the sex abuse she suffered as a child, and this could lead to psychosis when she was under the influence of alcohol, as she had been on the night in question. Justice McCarthy had said in his ruling that the defence of provocation could not be put to the jury, as he believed it was based upon Paula Farrell saying, quote, sometimes he provokes me, end quote, in her guard to interviews. The state maintained that there was no evidence that Farrell simply lost control and she had time to calm down following the alleged assault. They said that there was evidence of a calculated series of events which showed that Paula had thought through her actions. She chose to stay in the house because her young son was asleep upstairs. She admitted to thinking, quote, I'll kill you, before she picked up the knife from the kitchen sink. The prosecution said it would be perverse in light of this evidence to leave the issue of provocation up to the jury. The defence said the provocation flowed from the, quote, very clear evidence that what occurred in terms of the stabbing of Mr. McQuillan an almost instantaneous response to what the accused said preceded that in terms of the physical and sexual assault upon her. And she talks about it in such a way and gives evidence in such a way that it seems it is open to the jury to conclude that she suffered a sudden and temporary loss of self-control in response to what was being done to her, end quote. Ms. Biggs, said that the evidence of Farrell's interviews where she told the Gardaí that she had been strangled, bitten and had her head hit into the wall could have led her to dissociate. In light of this, Mr Justice George Birmingham, the President of the Court of Appeal, said that the issue of provocation should be brought to a jury and that they could consider manslaughter. Paula Farrell's conviction was quashed and a retrial was ordered. The second trial began in July 2019. Paula Farrell was arraigned before the Central Criminal Court in Dublin and charged once again with murdering Wayne McQuillan. The accused pleaded not guilty to murder, but guilty to the lesser charge of manslaughter. The plea was rejected by the state and the trial began under Justice Carmel Stewart. In his opening statement, Gerard Clark, senior counsel for the prosecution, spoke about the relationship between the accused and Wayne McQuillan, who was ten years younger than her. He told the court how they drank in excess, saying, quote, It seems neither paid much attention to the recommended daily allowance of alcohol. End quote. This time, Farrell's barristers were able to claim diminished responsibility and provocation as a defence, as a result of the CCA decision. If the jury accepted her defence of provocation, then it would reduce the murder charges to manslaughter. On the second day of the trial, Paula Farrell took the stand and gave testimony across the following three days. She had told her barrister that she had grabbed the knife after Wayne had allegedly tried to rape her. Under cross-examination by the state, she was asked by Mr. Clark why she hadn't disclosed the assault right away, and Paula said she had been in denial. She said, quote, 
I was in a state of shock. I was numb, end quote. The prosecution alleged that the accused came up with the idea of the assault after she was served a book of evidence four months after the killing. It had included the witness statements that said Wayne's trousers were down when he was found stabbed. Mr. Clark asserted that the allegation of sexual assault was a lie. Paula agreed that when she'd stabbed Wayne, he had been standing at the kitchen door, and she'd stabbed him three times before following him down the hallway and stabbing him again near the front door. She was asked if she had told the guardie that she lashed out at people she loved and that she was full of anger. She agreed that she had said this. Mr. Clark then asked her if it was the result of her anger that Wayne was dead. She answered, quote, no, he didn't die because of my anger, end quote. Paula Farrell said that it was because he had been trying to kill her. She had said she didn't intend to kill him, but admitted that she knew stabbing him with the knife would do more than hurt him. She had told the guardie that Wayne was a lovely person, so the prosecution asked if she was asking the jury to believe that he suddenly turned into a rapist. Then, once again, Dr. Marlene Miney, who had examined Paula Farrell the morning of the killing, outlined the injuries she had observed. Paula's daughter, Shauna Farrell, also testified about that night. She said that she had heard about what had happened and went to her mother's home. Her boyfriend tried to help Wayne outside, and she went to her mother, who was at the front door. Shauna testified that her mother grabbed towels for her boyfriend to try and stop Wayne's bleeding, and that Paula was inconsolable, and she kept repeating, What have I done? The witness told the court that her mother, the accused, had said, quote, He attacked me. I didn't mean it. End quote. One of the young men who came to Wayne's aid that night, Colm Reynolds, said that he had initially believed Wayne was wearing a red Liverpool jersey, but when he got closer, he realised that it was, quote, all blood. Paul Maguire was also there. He testified that as they were walking past, Wayne came outside and shouted that he'd been stabbed and needed an ambulance. Paul said, quote, he came walking out and slipped on a patch of grass. I went over and shone the light on him and saw all the blood coming out, end quote. Mr. Maguire had been out with friends and was frightened when he saw Wayne come out towards them. The witness said that he rang an ambulance and asked Paula Farrell, who was at this stage standing at the front door drying her hands with a towel, if she had anything to help. He stated that she had simply said, don't ring an ambulance. Mr. Maguire said that he could see blood on the accused clothes and on the floor in the hallway. He stated that there was a wound on Wayne's neck and with the light of his phone, he could see blood flowing down the side of Wayne's body. When asked by Ms. Biggs for the defence if he had told Gardie that Wayne McQuillan's trousers and underwear were below his waist when he came outside, Mr. Maguire stated that he had. This was corroborated by other witnesses at the scene who said that Wayne's privates were exposed. The defence argued that Wayne's trousers were down because he had attempted to sexually assault the accused. Dylan Rogers also took the stand. He was with the group of lads when he saw Wayne coming out of the house. He said that Wayne's trousers were around his ankles when he slipped on the grass. He recalled Wayne begging them to call an ambulance and saying, quote, I'm gone, lads, end quote. Kevin Brady was also called to testify. He had been at a New Year's Eve party nearby when he was told that Paula Farrell's boyfriend had been stabbed. 
He went to the house and spoke with the accused, who, he said, had a lump on the right side of her forehead, and told him that she and Wayne had been fighting. Mr. Brady said that Paula was hysterical and kept putting her hands on her head. Dr. Michael Curtis, the deputy state pathologist who had performed Wayne's post-mortem in Our Lady's Hospital in Drogheda, told the court about the injuries he had observed on Wayne McQuillan's body during the exam. Dr. Curtis also examined two knives that were found at the scene and said that the larger knife was more likely to have been the weapon used to inflict the injuries. It was a large kitchen knife with a 20 centimetre long handle. Dr. Curtis said that Wayne had high levels of alcohol in his system at the time of his death. He said it was, quote, gross intoxication, and that it was likely that Wayne would have been staggering, unsteady, and uncoordinated in his movements. Dr. Curtis said that the definitive cause of death in this case had been due to hemorrhaging and air in the chest cavity caused by the stab wounds. During cross-examination, Dr. Curtis agreed that some of the injuries on Wayne's hands might have suggested that he had hit Paula or something else. He also said that there were injuries to his knees and toe that suggested Wayne may have fallen. Ms. Biggs asked the pathologist if the injury would have been incompatible with life, to which Dr. Curtis answered that, quote, with prompt attention, prompt rescue, correction of bleeding and so on they are at least potentially survivable, end quote. The court heard that the ambulance was delayed and that Wayne was transported to the hospital in the Garda vehicle. This had brought the ambulance service under scrutiny, as many believed that if they had gotten there sooner, Wayne may have survived. Paula had described her relationship with Wayne as brilliant to Garda Ivan Geraghty. She said that they didn't always argue, though it had gotten physical before. But, Paula said, she couldn't recall what had prompted the arguments. Garda Gerti testified that the accused had said that neither she nor Wayne had employment, and that he was a good person who was always laughing and smiling. Dr. Kevin Lamb, a clinical psychologist, said that the accused was, quote, one point away from a mild learning disability, end quote, and had limited cognition. It was his belief that she lacked the cognition to plan a killing or make up the allegation of the attempted rape. When cross-examined by the state and asked how PTSD relates to murder, Dr. Lamb said that it was one of three or four prongs that came together and led to this killing. He said, quote, Usually there are only two or three of these that can be working in a person at a particular time. It's usually the fourth that can lead to something as terrible as a killing. One of these is PTSD, another is intoxication, another is the actual child sex abuse, and then the assault on her and the choking. All of these factors came together in that attack, end quote. Dr. Brenda Wright said that she had interviewed Paula Farrell numerous times and had reviewed her mental health record for the previous 10 years. Paula Farrell had told a counsellor from the Rape Crisis Centre in 2016 that Wayne had been trying to rape her and it made her feel like a helpless child, as she had felt when she was abused in her youth. Dr. Wright said that it was her opinion that Paula had suffered from alcohol dependence syndrome, PTSD, and was emotionally unstable. She said that the accused was hypersensitive and hypervigilant and could not regulate her emotions or responses. Dr. Wright said, quote, 
a background history of child abuse will have significantly increased her risk of alcohol dependence, PTSD, and persistent emotional dysregulation. Chronic childhood trauma, in which the person is helpless, can lead to developing PTSD. End quote. She continued, saying that Paula Farrell's case was regarded as being on the severe end of the spectrum. Dr. Sally Linehan testified on behalf of the prosecution on the tenth day of the trial. Dr. Linehan had conducted a report on the accused in June 2015, and again in the month of this trial. In the first report, from 2015, Paula Farrell had said that she did not hear voices or experience flashbacks to her past abuse at the time of the killing. Dr. Linehan believed that Paula Farrell had PTSD, but she did not believe that she was dissociating when she killed Wayne McQuillan. In his closing argument, Mr. Clark for the state said that Paula Farrell was lying about the attempted sexual assault, and that the jury would find the truth in what happened in Farrell's statements to the guardie when she was first interviewed, and not in the, quote, elaborate story you've heard, with the first mention of rape being 15 months after he was killed, end quote. Mr. Clark said that the accused's behaviour was not that of someone who was provoked. He stated that she had been in control and knew what she was doing was terribly wrong. Caroline Biggs for the defence told the jury to remember the evidence of the injuries on her client and that Paula Farrell was a woman who suffered from mental illness. She explained that Paula's delay in disclosing the alleged rape was because she was a victim of child sex abuse and could not discuss sexual matters in the same way other people could. Ms. Biggs said that the defence were not using mental illness as an excuse, but that it was important to remember that because of her conditions, she may have been triggered by something others would not have. Ms. Biggs said, quote, Paula Farrell has been drunk her whole life and she's never behaved like this. So, what was it about this night? Is it this cocktail of child sexual abuse, PTSD, alcohol, and an act, or a series of acts, on the part of the deceased? End quote. Ms. Biggs asked the jury to convict her client of manslaughter before saying that there was a, quote, reasonable possibility that she was provoked on this night in light of that cocktail, in light of his actions, end quote. After deliberating for four hours, the jury could not reach a unanimous verdict, and so were given the option of reaching a majority verdict. They retired for another five hours before marking the issue paper as disagreed. They had been unable to reach a verdict. The case was then rescheduled for a third trial. That December, almost six years after Wayne McQuillan was stabbed to death, Paula Farrell was granted temporary release on compassionate grounds and was allowed to go back to Rathmullen Park for Christmas. According to the Irish Times, the conditions of her release were a surety of 500 euros, a curfew, and she was not permitted to visit Wayne's grave or come within one kilometre of his family, who still lived in the area. Paula Farrell's third trial for the murder of Wayne McQuillan began in March of 2020. Again, the defence's case was that Paula Farrell was provoked when Wayne McQuillan attempted to sexually assault her. It was the defence's position that Wayne McQuillan's trousers were down 
and he was exposed when he was discovered bleeding in the garden because he had pulled them down to rape the accused. The fact that Wayne's trousers were down was corroborated by the young men who rushed to his aid on the night in question. They had initially thought that he was covered in oil, but when they got closer they could see that blood was pouring out of a large wound on his upper body. They also told the court how they'd heard Paula Farrell shout from the doorway not to call an ambulance. Paula Farrell told her barrister Miss Biggs on the stand that she was currently in custody in the Doka Centre, and described the sexual abuse she had suffered from the age of seven to the court, telling Miss Biggs that this man had mauled her body. She said that she had confronted the man in her late twenties, and when he apologised, she punched him in the face. Farrell said that counselling made her feel worse, so she self-medicated by drinking excessively. She spoke about her mental health. She suffered from depression, schizophrenia, and PTSD. Dr. Kevin Lamb testified for the defence again and said that Paula Farrell had a very low IQ, bordering on intellectual disability, and that she could not have acted in any other manner than she did because she lacked the cognitive resources to do so. He again reiterated his belief that she could not have fabricated the allegation of assault. When cross-examined by Mr. Clark for the prosecution, he said that Paula Farrell had first disclosed the allegation of sexual assault to him 16 months after she'd killed Wayne. He also agreed that her IQ had no link to her actions. It has no relevance to committing murder. But he said, quote, low IQ is a factor amongst many factors that exist in Ms. Farrell, and she did not have the cognitive resources to act in a different manner on the night in question, end quote. Dr. Linehan testified again and said that Farrell's behaviour was due to her intoxication, not mental illness, although she agreed that the illnesses made it difficult for her to regulate her emotions. Gerda Andrew Corbett then told the defence that Wayne McQuillan had nine previous convictions for public order offences that were dealt with in the district court, and that Paula Farrell had no previous convictions. As he had said in the earlier trials, former Deputy State Pathologist Dr. Michael Curtis spoke about the injuries he found while carrying out the post-mortem exam on Wayne McQuillan. Then Garda Tomas Leonard testified again about being one of the first Gardaí on the scene. He spoke about the hostile atmosphere outside the home in Rathmullen Park and said a crowd had gathered and were waiting for an ambulance. Garda Leonard said that the accused was hysterical in the home, so he made the decision to take her to her mother's house while he cautioned her and took a statement. He told the court that the accused was upset at the time, but cooperative. She did not try to hide the knife. She told him that it was in the sink, as that was where she had washed the blood off her hands. The Garda said that Paula Farrell told him that she had been drinking cider with Wayne from about 3pm that day. She then said, quote, The two of us started bitching before New Year. I don't remember what we were fighting about. It was something stupid. End quote. The accused then said that they began tackling each other, and Wayne grabbed her by the wrist and neck. Then she hit her head off the wall. She went on to tell the Garda that Wayne had held her down on the two-seater chair in the kitchen, and when she managed to get him off her, she, quote, didn't want him to get the better of me. I got the knife, and then I stuck the knife in him, end quote. 
She said she believed she had stabbed him at first in the top of his chest, and then again lower down. When Garda Leonard asked her where she had gotten the knife from, she said she had a set in her kitchen and grabbed a medium-sized knife. She told the Garda, after she was stabbed, Wayne walked out of the front door and collapsed on the grass. She said she had followed him out and was crying that she was so sorry. Another Garda that was on the scene that night, Garda Andrew Corbish, told the court that after it became clear that the ambulance was taking a long time, he made the decision to drive Wayne McQuillan to the hospital in his unmarked patrol car. When he returned to the house in Rathmullen Park, he noted a number of empty cans and bottles of cider, as well as some that were unopened. When addressing the jury for the final time, Ms Biggs, for the defendant, said that they must not find her client guilty if they thought that she had acted as a result of being provoked by Wayne McQuillan. They instead must convict her of the lesser charge of manslaughter. She said, quote, You must look at if she lost control from her particular situation and decide if she was provoked. PTSD is relative to her subjective state of mind, end quote. Ms. Biggs told the jury that Paula Farrell had not disclosed the alleged assault because she was not able to speak about it until a time later, when she had remained sober for years. This was part of the accused's defence, that she had consumed so much alcohol that the jury had to decide whether it was possible for her to understand the consequences of stabbing Wayne. In his closing statement, Mr. Clark for the state said that the sexual assault was a lie and could not be contradicted by Wayne McQuillan, because he was dead. He told the jury that not once in Farrell's four Garda interviews had she mentioned the sexual assault. Even when asked if anything sexual had happened, she had said, quote, quite the opposite. Mr. Clark said that the jury were only hearing about Paula Farrell's history of abuse to elicit sympathy. Ms. Biggs had asked the jury if Paula Farrell was not assaulted by Wayne McQuillan before his death, how had she gotten 11 injuries? The presiding judge, Mr. Justice McDermott, told the jury that they had to ask themselves whether the alleged actions of Wayne McQuillan would have caused the accused to lose her self-control because of her history of being abused before. He said, quote, the act must come suddenly and before there has been time for passions to cool. The act cannot be tinged with calculation. You have to decide whether the evidence in relation to that is credible or not. It is not enough to show that she lost her temper or was easily provoked. If it cannot be established that the assault was carried out with an intention to kill or cause serious injury, that is not murder. The offence is to be regarded as the lesser but also very serious offence of manslaughter. If the evidence of intoxication raises a reasonable doubt in your minds as to whether she had the intention to kill whilst committing these acts, you must acquit her of murder and convict her of manslaughter. End quote. But the jury of seven men and four women rejected Paula Farrell's defence after two days of deliberations, and she was convicted for the murder of Wayne McQuillan for a second time. Justice McDermott then thanked the jury for the attention they had showed throughout the trial, especially considering the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, and excused them from jury duty for life. Paula Farrell did not react when the verdict was announced by the court registrar. 
Wayne McQuillan's parents were not in attendance because they were following the government's advice for those over 70 to remain at home because of the coronavirus pandemic. So they weren't present when justice was finally served. Mr. Clark, for the prosecution, read the victim impact statement Wayne's sister Audrey had written. It read in part, quote, We brought him into this world and loved him. We protected him and kept him safe as parents should do. His last moments on this earth were moments of pain and fear, and we were not there to hold his hand and comfort him. Not only did Paula Farrell take our son and brother from us, but she also took all those hopes and dreams. She took Wayne's future and our future, too. There will be no more birthday parties, no more Christmas gatherings, and New Year's will never be the same for us again. We will never see him get his first home, get married, or have children. We will never get to share those celebrations with him. Our family is forever broken. There are no words to describe the pain and suffering we feel. End quote. As with every convicted murderer in Ireland, Paula Farrell was given a mandatory life sentence and was sent back to prison. Thank you for listening to Mens Rea, a true crime podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at mensreapod, or you can send an email to mensreapod at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible in part from generous donations by our supporters on Patreon. Special thanks this week to Vic, Cara May, Naomi Bishop, Jeff Grattan, and Kira Griffin, and to Jane, who has upped her pledge. Thanks so much to everyone who has signed up and to everyone who continues to support the show. For ad-free and bonus episodes, head to patreon.com forward slash mensreapod and help a girl out. And don't forget about the 15% discount for annual subscriptions. Snag yourself some of that nifty Mens Rea merch at bit.ly forward slash Mens Rea merch. I am loving seeing all these t-shirts out in the wild, so if you want one for yourself, check it out, and don't forget to tag me on all the socials. Thanks to our sponsors for this week, June's Journey, Wild Natural Deodorant, ExpressVPN, and Best Fiends. Supporting our sponsors supports this show, so check out all their details in the show notes. Please also stay tuned for the promo at the end of this show. It's For Bedtime Stories, a podcast presented by Threshold, an Irish housing charity. It's available until the 31st of December this year, so follow those links in the show notes and get listening. Our theme music is Quinn's song The Dance Begins by Kevin MacLeod. Additional music is by Juanita Meisel and Kevin MacLeod. This episode was researched and written by Eileen McFarlane of the Crime Lapse podcast. Thanks, Eileen. Mens Rea is produced by me, your host Sinead. All sources for today's episode can be found in the show notes or on our website, www.mensreapod.com. And so, till next time. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. Threshold, the national housing charity, brings you Bedtime Stories, a fundraiser with a difference. Hear stories from Ireland's best storytellers, including Colm Tobin, Anne Enright, Stephen Ray, Bosco, and many, many more. 
I'm Breach Brennan. I'm Dave Rodden. I'm Anya Neeklin. My name is Michael Harding. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Owen Colfer, and I would like to read you a bedtime story. Step into a world of imagination, all while protecting families all over Ireland from homelessness this winter. At Threshold, we work to prevent homelessness before it happens. Go ahead, sign up and listen in at www.threshold.bedtimestories.ie.